Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast, and uh, we've made it to the big 100, so thanks everybody for listening um, the podcast, excitingly, well, excitingly for me anyway, probably not for anybody else, hit the 20,000 subscriber mark the other day, and I've got to say I'm ever so slightly smug about it. But anyway, back to history. So the thing that I'm going to talk a little bit about today is the experience that China had during the First World War, and... Um, one of the reasons why I think this is important is, uh, and I've said this in previous podcasts, is that the um, the focus that we in Britain particularly have on the First World War is the experience of uh, Britain and the, the Western Front. Um, the, the fact that Britain fought in all sorts of places, in Africa, in the Middle East, and on the high seas, and even in Asia, um, is, is really kind of ignored in the, um, the standard version of the war that, that we have. And this is um, similar for most of the, uh, the other major powers uh, fighting. They have a version of the war that they they choose to remember. I think that um, the role of China in the First World War gets rather unfairly overlooked, and the the contribution that uh, China made uh, in terms of the the Allied victory certainly uh, gets ignored. And the other thing that we ignore is the impact of the First World War and the Paris Peace Conference on China. And if we look at that, it starts to explain or helps us to understand how uh, China evolves politically in the 1920s and 30s. And it starts to give us some explanations for the growth in the uh, popularity of uh, communism in China and the, uh, the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. In total, some 95,000 labourers worked on the, on the Western Front. They dug trenches, um, they um, offloaded ammunition from trains, um, they did all sorts of uh, essential work that the uh, British and French armies um, did not have the manpower to do. And this um, became more pronounced uh, as the war as the war progressed. The the use of Chinese labour throughout the British Empire was nothing new. 
if you look at the um, uh, scandals over the use of uh, Chinese uh, immigrant labour in South Africa in the first decade of the 20th century, uh, that there is um, all sorts, uh, there are all sorts of um, tensions there. Um, there was a, a great outrage in Britain, not over the mistreatment of the Chinese labourers, I might add, um, many of whom died down the mines, but the idea that the empire, um, you know, white labour within the empire, might be undercut by uh, cheap Chinese workers. There is this uh, kind of constant anxiety, and it's sort of quite, quite prescient, um, and um, is a sort of a, a forerunner to the kind of the... Uh, uh, obsessions today with um, the uh, cheapness or, and the uh, uh, um, ability of uh, Asian labour to uh, compete on in price terms against its European counterparts. But I get sidetracked. There was a um, long tradition in America of imported Chinese labour building the, the railroads uh, across the continent. Part of the well, one of the main reasons that uh, Chinese labour was so widespread a, a, across um, Europe and Asia and the British Empire was that the uh, outcome of the Second Opium War um, included a treaty uh, allowing the uh, export of indentured Chinese labour for um, a, a, a very a very discounted price. A great many of the labourers came from uh, rural China in the northeast, from Hebei and Shandong, and um, the, it might be apocryphal, but there are stories of uh, the train ride taking so long uh, that when they arrived in Shanghai, having never seen uh, European architecture before, because obviously Shanghai and the Bund area, particularly of Shanghai and the uh, um, uh, European uh, enclaves of, of of the city were obviously totally remodelled throughout the nineteenth century to represent um, the uh, ma a major European capital. They actually believed that they had arrived in in Europe in order to try to uh, avoid uh, German U-boats. The uh, Chinese labourers were loaded onto ships that crossed the Pacific and then put into boxcars and taken across Canada uh, and from thence taken on the, across the Atlantic. And the um, problem that obviously they encountered was a high attrition rate uh, along the way. There were uh, huge numbers of, uh, of deaths. It's not even un documented exactly how many, uh, how many died. Uh, but confinement um, in, in sanitary conditions um, meant that uh, a good proportion of Chinese labourers never made it to uh, to see the um, uh, west the battlefields of Western Europe. An even larger number of Chinese uh, were requisitioned to work as labourers for the Russians, um, and uh, a large proportion um, of, of those of them died as well. About 3,000 died of illness in France um, and in um, working in sanitary and dangerous conditions uh, between 1916 and, and 1918. Um, there were details on the numbers who were killed in transport. 
these were apparently lost, these were apparently boxed in a certain ministry in, in Whitehall and lost during the Blitz in 1940. In Russia, it's estimated that some 30,000 uh, Chinese labourers were killed uh, during the uh, war against Germany, and an unknown number didn't make it home or were lost in the chaos of the revolution or were still in Russia during the time of the, the Russian Civil War. The um, sanitary, the working conditions of Chinese labourers on the Western Front were pretty hard. There were 49 working weeks a year uh, of 10-hour working uh, 10-hour days of, of labouring, and the uh, camps that the the Chinese labourers were kept in were uh, not completely primitive, but fa you know fairly basic. And they were often subject to the uh, casual bigotry and the um, uh, racial cruelties of the day. If you ever get a chance to read Robert Fisk's uh, The Great War for Civilization, which is in part his memoir of the Middle East and in part his kind of view on the 20th century itself, it begins with his father's experiences during the First World War. And at the end of the First World War, when it, I think it's literally in the first chapter, he describes how his father um, was sent to put down a riot at the Chinese labourers' camp in 1919. Yuan Shikai, the uh, Chinese premier and then warlord emperor, had um, negotiated, uh, unsuccessfully attempted to negotiate China's entry into the war. He believed that by supplying large numbers of troops to the Allied powers, he would be able to negotiate his way in the peace settlement out of uh, China's uh, subjugated status to the Western Allies. He thought perhaps it would be a way of overthrowing the uh, Treaty of Nanjing uh, at the end of the, the Opium Wars. Um, and he thought it would be um, a way of uh, gaining back concessions such as Hong Kong and Shanghai. The, the British were keen not to give Yuan Shikai this kind of bargaining power, uh, and they knew that really uh, there was an immense amount of um, trade in, and investment opportunities to be lost in China if this happened. In 1917, following the sinking of a cargo French cargo ship Athos, uh, with over 500 Chinese labourers on board, it um, by a German U-boat, um, it becomes China's opportunity to declare war on on Germany. Much as in the same year, uh, America sees a very similar opportunity. And both in America's case and China's case, these incidents are pretexts to enable both countries to flex their muscles, to demonstrate that they are players on the world stage, and to use the um, the war as an opportunity to um, claim greater power status. Uh, the in in America's case, obviously, there is far more. Um, scope for America to establish itself as, as a great power than, than China in 1917. The problem that the British have as well is that they don't really want China to be uh, seen as, a, as an ally and an equal partner in the war because their other long-standing allies since 1902, Japan, 
has been quite useful in um, supplying uh, warships, escorting convoys, and um, maintaining a presence in the Far East. And Japan, obviously, at the Paris Peace Conference, will want its claims in China that it has established since 1894 to be um, recognised by the Allied powers. And the situation that emerges at the Paris Peace Conference, which we'll get onto in a moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Is one of dispute over the over territorial claims in China, between China and Japan. And it's precisely the kind of thing that the British were hoping to avoid. In November 1918, the armistice is greeted with jubilation in China. Um, in Shanghai, in Nanjing, in Beijing, in all the major cities, um, there are there's jubilation. And it's an, this is an interesting question. There have been no uh, fighting men in uh, the conflicts on the, on the Western Front or, or anywhere else. So why this, this excitement? Well, for the Chinese, um, the Chinese intelligentsia students um, and, and um, uh, politically um, educated uh, classes, there is a sense that the end of the war has ushered in a new phase in world affairs, that um, the uh, cruel and brutal treatment that has been meted out in China since about 1850 uh, is uh, going to come to an end uh, and that um, a world based really on Wilson's 14 points is emerging. Uh, and this is going to be a world where there are going to be no more secret treaties. It's going to be a world whereby there are going to be no, for, no more unfair annexations. And it's going to be a world whereby there are um, no, uh, where, where empires start to become a thing of the past. Um, and it's going to be a world where the principle of national self-determination is, is, is more and more increasingly sovereign. And when the Chinese delegation get to the Paris Peace Conference, they are cruelly disappointed 
the British side with the Japanese claims over Shandong, which is one of the most um, strategic uh, parts of China. It's a peninsula that is um, a few hours' ride just south of Beijing. And the uh, point about Shandong is that it controls much of the railway nexus for the, the northeast and obviously is a key site for controlling Beijing itself. Uh, with It is referred to um, as a dagger pointed at the heart of China. When the Chinese delegation arrived in Beijing, there was a delegation of, of 60, um, 60 diplomats and uh, politicians, uh, one of their leading lights was Wellington Koo, who had been the Chinese ambassador, ambassador to Washington, and had been the man that uh, Woodrow Wilson turned to for insights and advice on um, Chinese affairs. Wilson was quite keen that China should be treated fairly, and um, the the British and the French looked at China and thought it as a a hopelessly broken um, nation uh, that was going inevitably to fall into the Japanese sphere anyway, and there was very little that could be done about this. Um, Woodrow Wilson believed that it was in America's interests to um, keep China as independent as possible and to keep uh, an, um, to keep America's uh, traditionally um, uh, established trading rights open in China, their open door, as they called it. I've talked about this in previous uh, previous podcasts. Uh, America's view of China is that it was an immense marketplace and a an immense source of customers for American goods. And having an open door into China would uh, really kind of sustain America in terms of trade throughout the twentieth century. And it was something that um, an obsession that drove on American policymakers for much of the twentieth century. Wilson's other uh, real interest at the Treaty of uh, Versailles, well, during the signing of the Treaty of Versailles and the Paris Peace Conference, was establishing the League of Nations and the um, participation of Japan, he saw, was going to be crucial in this. Um, part of the reason why he offered uh, eventually to allow Japan to have its own way in China was to entice Japan to adopt the League of Nations, and ultimately he uh, sees this as a, a kind of a, a price worth paying, and um, the sense of betrayal from the Chinese delegation is directed particularly at Wilson. I suspect they thought that the British and the French um, were not going to uh, give them what they wanted, given the uh, Britain and France's track record in China already. However, Wilson and Wilson's 14 points particularly had been seen as um, um, a beacon uh, of hope to uh, a great many um, nationalities emerging from the, uh, the ruins of the First World War and emerging from um, the imperialism of the 19th century uh, as evidence that there would be some sort of fairness in terms of national self-determination. By April 1919, the deal with Japan was done, and when it was announced, Chinese students in Paris are the first to um, protest, and uh, they do it in quite a sort of angry and violent way. 
However, on May the 4th uh, in China, the protest movement there is of far greater significance. Students gather in Tiananmen Square uh, to, to protest, and then protests spread uh, across every major uh, city in China. Mirroring, interestingly, the, um, cheer the, the cheering crowds of just under six months earlier, um, the uh, dreams of, that the Chinese had of the outcome of the war had been uh, bitterly, uh, bitterly disappointed within that very short space of time. And there is a, a, a massive consequence to this. The new liberal institutions that China had hoped to, or some Chinese um, revolutionaries and intellectuals had hoped that the country would adopt by, um, as a result of the 1911 Chinese Revolution, um, these were similar to the ideas articulated by Wilson. Uh, in his 14 points. Wilson is seen in 1918 and 1919 as the kind of the, the, the world uh, figure or the world leader of uh, liberalism and um, democracy. The fact that um, liberal democracy uh, can be compromised and can make compromises and can uh, play as many um, unpleasant imperial games as any other type of political ideology, it comes a rather nasty shock. But there is, of course, uh, a new ideology waiting in the wings, uh, in all, uh, particularly uh, directed towards uh, the oppressed of the world, and that is Soviet communism. And it is to Soviet communism that some, uh, some look uh, as a result of the kind of the bitter disillusionment they feel with Wilsonian liberalism, it's hardly surprising that some of the protesters on May the fourth find themselves in 1920 joining the newly formed Chinese Communist Party, which has been established with more than a little help from uh, the new Soviet Union. But the uh, the legacy of May the fourth goes slightly further than there. The um, northern government, the Bayang government, that was um, the kind of the military clique of warlords that had established itself after the death of Yuan Shikai, um, knew that uh, despite the uh, unfortunate setback of the uh, Japanese being uh, given um, a, a carte blanche to, to rule parts of China, the, they still were going to be reliant on the Japanese. Uh, for the uh, foreseeable future in military terms and in ter in financial terms. Um, the Japanese uh, had already uh, compromised a great many of them with bribery and blackmail. The Japanese actually looked upon China in much the way um, the Americans did as being uh, not, in, not always in absolutely um, aggressive terms, though that's how it would uh, nor, uh, you know, ultimately manifest itself, but they saw China as being a the kind of the, the pupil um, that could be tutored um, to learn the lessons that Japan had, Japan's lessons obviously being in the um, adoption of modern Western uh, industrial 
military and economic and educational and institutional and bureaucratic techniques to turn it into a, a, a viable first world power. The um, future of China, therefore, is very much kind of born on, on May the 4th, as you have three competing forces struggling for mastery of the country, and they, um, that, dis that struggle is concluded only 30 years later, in 1949, when uh, the uh, nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek are defeated and exiled to Taiwan, and the China, the Japanese obviously defeated four years beforehand with the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Okay, well, I hope that's been useful for you. Um, once again, thanks everybody for supporting Explaining History so far to the 100th episode and the 20,000th um, subscriber as of yesterday. And um, I've, as I mentioned on my previous podcast, I've got our centenary giveaway um, I'm still looking for people to write in. Um, Bill in Penzance, your uh, copy of uh, Wales and the First World War is wending its way to you. Um, I'm, uh, if you can email me at info at explaininghistory.com and let me know the best thing you've read over the Christmas period or the best thing you're reading right now, you and obviously give us your address too, that's essential. You too will receive a copy in the post of Wales and the First World War. Um, it's a, a, a brilliant read, uh, a snip at two ninety nine, but you can have a copy for free. Anyway, I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast, and I look forward to catching you all soon. Thanks. Bye bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.